This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Flat Out Farno, you're Laddie H, host of Flat Out Pride on your Free FM dial. If you're a Waikato local with an idea for your own show, Free FM would love to hear from you. Check out our website, freefm.org.nz, or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. When I'm with you 
Kia ora no kahukura whanau, you are tuned into the Flat Out Pride Hour here on Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. You can live stream and podcast us via freefm.org.nz, via the TuneIn app, accessradio.org, Apple Podcasts, accessmedia.nz and now on iHeartRadio. Tuia ngāreo o te hāpuri, bringing together the voices of our community. That is the tagline for Free FM. And that's where you tuned in to Whānau. Free FM, 89 on your dial. Flat Out Pride, Fridays at 5. You're tuned into the station and the show that celebrates us, the Glit Fab Rainbow Whānau. That's gay, lesbian, intersex, transgender, takatāpui, queer, questioning, whawhawhine, akaivine, by and all the fabulousness in between, two-spirited, asexual, androgynous, all sorts, licorice, all sorts, no. Hey, and it's all about that scope, right? And the fluidity that is us, flat out. All right, you're with Lady H on your mic. I hope you have had an, a good week and you're ready to rock into your weekend. I'm going to get you kick-started with some goodness. Some rainbow goodness. Uh, in terms of my week, it's just been work, 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 work and work. This weekend is catch up on all the homework, housework, different kind of work, but at my own pace and my own energy. Hope you have an uh, awesome weekend planned. In terms of the show, we have got more rainbow artists worth checking out. So last week I shared about some uh, artists that are up and coming could have been the week before anywho wanted to share some more with you we've also got international news so last week we did Aotearoa news what's happening around Aotearoa now let's have a look and a listen to what's going on around international waters we've got Rainbow Voices Aotearoa so this is a, a, a short documentary that was um, shared maybe last year-ish Wanted to share that with you because it's still very relevant today and it's about us, uh, where we are and where we're going to. And people through there are some beats from our Kahukura Whanau. So all music are all our rainbow uh, musicians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so let's just get into the goodness, shall we? More rainbow music artists worth checking out. Have a listen. A lot of people see her as a meme who watching sexual content makes her be seen and unprofessional, but she's very talented and has some great non-sexual songs. LGBT and Brendan Uri, lead singer, currently the only member of Panic at the Disco, pansexual. Oh, 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 oh,
Victoria Savan, who identifies as gay. Janelle Monet identifies as pansexual. Shia Diamond identifies as transgender. She is labelless. I don't just love men, I love people. I'm on a dating app with both guys and girls. I'm open to human connection. Hailey Kiyoko identifies as lesbian. Identifies as bisexual. No more, it can see them. The stars they burn, some even fall. To here's to the hearts that you're gonna break, here's to the lines that you're gonna change, here's to the infinite possible ways. Kiki Palmer, labelless. My sexuality is defined by me, and that can change. Young M.A. identifies as lesbian. Mama wonder why I never liked to wear a skirt or wear a purse. I tried to be girly once, but fortunately it didn't work. I'm coming up. And when it's time to pop, they have no shit. Yeah, I'm pretty, but I'm local. The loud got me moving slow. I like my girl just like I like my identifies as queer. Sweet. 
Tommy Boy, previously known as Tommy, identifies as gay. and chance identifies as gay. Of course our very own Sam Smith identifies as gay. Petrus identifies as transgender. Frank Ocean identifies as gay. Of course, our very own Lady Gaga identifies as bisexual. Sia, labelless, a boy stated boys and girls and anything in between. Sid, identifies as lesbian. Kevin Abstract identifies as gay. I just want to know shit where we all are. 
more for you to check out there yes I know they're probably more of the the pop star uh, sound and I'm doing more research into more artists out there up and coming of course if you know some that we should be plugging out here then email us on flatoutpride at hotmail.com or post up to our Flat Out Pride page on Bookface and let us know who you're in love with in terms of our kahukura sound flat out that's all we've got time for in terms of that my whanau let's go into a quick beat and this artist is Halsey the song is Control stay tuned this to find them a fortune A chest filled with diamonds and gold The house was awake With shadows and monsters The hallways they echoed and groaned I sat alone in bed till the morning I'm crying, they're coming for me And I tried to hold these secrets inside me My mind's like a deadly disease I'm bigger than my body I'm colder than this home I'm meaner than my demons I'm bigger than these bones Jumped at the slightest of sounds I couldn't stand the person inside me I turned all the mirrors around I'm bigger than my body I'm colder than this room I'm meaner than my demons I'm bigger than these bones You know they
Ma hoki mai kahukura whānau. Welcome and welcome back, Rainbow Whānau. We love having you on board, whether you're across international or national waters. No maharamai. That last beat there was Halsey and the song was Control. You're tuned into the Flat Out Pride Hour here on Free FM 89.0, Independent Community Media. Fridays at 5 on your Free FM dial. On the rest of your show for this evening, we've of course got events, what's hot and happening around your coming weekend. Uh, we have Rainbow Voices Aotearoa, a little doco that was uh, made in terms of our voices here in Aotearoa. And now we're rolling into international news. What's happening around international waters? Let's get into this goodness. First up, we're going over to Germany. This is compliments of theguardian.com. German NGO files legal case against Chechen officials over anti-gay purges. So we all know what's been happening there. And word has been out to everyone in regards of this. But now it's getting into a... Uh, formal forum and being challenged. Five officials from the inner circle of Chechnya's uh, autocratic leader Ramzan, don't know how to say the last name, are the subject of a criminal complaint in Germany for crimes against humanity in a legal attempt to seek justice over the semi-autonomous Russian Republic's anti-gay purges. The 97-page charge sheet extracts of which have been seen by the Guardian, accuses the Chechen military and state apparatus of persecution, unlawful arrests, torture, sexual violence and incitement to murder at least 150 individuals on the basis of their sex orientation since way back in Feb 2017. If the general prosecutor in Karlsruhe decides to take on the case, which was submitted in Feb by the European Centre for Constitutional and Human Rights, Whew. that's ECCHR, a German NGO and the Russian LGBT network. Uh, their associates could face an arrest warrant if they set foot in Germany. The Russian newspaper Novaya Gazeta first retention to a concerted campaign of prosecution against gay and lesbian gay and bisexual, sorry, men in April 2017, reporting that people had been rounded up and held in unofficial prisons where they were verbally abused, electrocuted and beaten with metal rods. Karuhafano. The Chechen government denied uh, the report, claiming there were no homosexual people in Chechnya. Chechnya. And those that did exist would be rooted out by their own families. A Russian investigation into the matter was later dropped. Hmm. Funny that, eh? A criminal complaint to the International Criminal Court filed by French activists in 2017 failed to gain traction because Russia had withdrawn from the jurisdiction of the tribunal in The Hague. Chechen leaders could now be charged in Germany because the country has implemented the legal principle of universal jurisdiction for crimes against humanity, allowing prosecution in its courts even if the crimes happened elsewhere. So in short, if they are found for any crimes against humanity, 
they can try them in Germany even if it happened in a different country or different place. Now, the same principle recently allowed the first ruling by a court outside Syria on war crimes committed by the Assad regime and has led NGOs to discover Germany as a forum for criminal complaints against Saudi Arabia's Prince Mohammed bin Salman and a former member of the Gambian Armed Forces. An imperfect system of international criminal justice with an ICC with limited jurisdiction. Now Germany attempts to guarantee that Europe is no safe haven for war criminals. And the ECCHR's founder, Wolfgang Kalik, if no other jurisdiction investigates, Germany is able and must be willing to take over tasks, representing thereby Europe and the international community. Stunning, stunning. Now, the Guardian understands that the German criminal complaint includes two officials already sanctioned by the EU and UK and US over anti-gay purges. Now, the former personal bodyguard and deputy prime minister... Abu Zayed Vismuradov and Police Chief Ayub Katayev and the Chair of the Chechen Parliament Magomed Dodov um, is known to have visited Germany repeatedly in the last decade. Sorry, this is Vismuradov has known to visit Germany in the last decade, seeking, seeking treatment after a car accident at a hospital near Hamburg in 2012, and supporting Chechen fighters at boxing matches in Central Europe back in 2014-2017. Now, if Germany's federal, federal public prosecutor takes further steps to investigate the officials after viewing extensive material submitted by the ECCHR, the case could also help those prosecuted to claim asylum in Europe. Wow, that was a mouthful. But, yay, how's that, eh, Farno? Yes, shifts and change and support for our community. Even in, in that way, the atrocities need to be addressed and someone needs to be held accountable. Yes. Going over to UK, puberty blockers... Um, so their NHS or their hospital system to set up independent review group. So a new independent review group will assess the prescription of puberty blockers for under 16s. Now, uh, the NHS England has, has actually announced. So puberty blockers are prescribed to some young people who are experiencing gender dysphoria a mismatch between their biological sex and gender identity. Now, I don't call that a mismatch. I call that uh, not their true identity. However, I'm just sharing some news. The announcement follows a ruling from the Family Division of the High Court back in March, which said parents can consent to the treatment on behalf of their child. But the judge added that it, uh, that the, there would be additional safeguards um, built into the decision making. Now the case was brought after three high court judges had previously ruled that children under 16 were unlikely to, uh, unlikely able to give informed consent for the treatment. Now that ruling in December was from a case brought against the 
Tavistock and Portman um, NHS Trust, which provides England's only NHS specialist gender clinic for children. Mm, didn't even know that existed, so kapai. Uh, NHS England said its new processes were being introduced on an interim basis while it awaits the outcome of a review into gender identity services. It said it had carefully reviewed the parental consent judgment from March, along with significant concerns raised by a recent Care Quality Commission report about the clinic and puberty blockers evidence reviewed by the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. Whee. So the health body said that while parental consent had not been historically relied on, it may be for existing patients who are already being prescribed puberty blockers. In those cases, there would need to be full agreement between the child and the parents and the clinical team, as well as support from the new review group. Okay, so this is a pretty lengthy story, but at the end, until the group is operational, a requirement for best interest order from the court for new patients will still remain. Okay, okay, it's still possible and it still sounds promising. Where do you reckon, Farno? Heading over to Colombia. This is brought to you compliments of aljazeera.com. In a Colombian port town, LGBTQ community faces increasing threats. So attacks against our rainbow community there have caused many to flee as a new wave of armed conflict violence frightens the locals. Gazella Diaz, 40, bursts into tears as she recalls the years of violence and discrimination she and her rainbow friends have endured in their troubled city. The situation is very difficult for LGBTQ people here, um, says Diaz, who identifies as lesbian. A main Afro-Colombian port city on Colombia's western coast, Buena Ventura has long been considered one of the most violent places in the country. It was here that the Casas de Pique the Spanish for chop houses operated where armed groups would dismember victims and dispose of their bodies in the adjacent Pacific Ocean. Ooh, rough. In 2019, Buena Ventura held its first LGBTQ Pride Parade, something previously unheard of in the traditional and machistra or male chauvinist city. John Albornoz, a gay man who proposed and coordinated the event, says it was a momentous day for the city's LGBT community. In that year, the armed gangs who fought for territorial control were going through a period of peace, so we had the freedom to be. But, as he, he's the one who runs local LGBTQ rights group, says he would not attempt to organise a pride celebration in Buena Ventura's current violent climate. It's horrible. Young friends of ours had to flee the city because of the violence that's happening. Because unfortunately the violence we're seeing in marginalised neighbourhoods is where many members of our rainbow community live. Wow. That's, the increase in violence has directly affected our rainbow whanau there in Buena Ventura. 
our love, light and care and support go out to you whanau out in Colombia. Japan. Let's go over there. Japan court rules same-sex marriage ban unconstitutional. Yes. Why? Because it breaches the right to equality, setting a new president in the only G7 nation not to fully recognize same-sex unions. This is in a Japanese district court. The plaintiffs are among 13 same-sex couples who filed lawsuits on Valentine's Day back in back in 2019, seeking to force the government to recognise gay marriage. Yes. In the first ruling on the lawsuits, a court in Sapporo turned down a request for damages of 1 million yen, which is 9,000, per person for being denied the same legal rights as heterosexual couples. But the court found that the failure to recognise same-sex marriage was unconstitutional, hailed as a major breakthrough by campaigners. Absolutely. So all the couples decided to take legal action after they tried to register their marriages with local authorities back in Jan 2019, but were refused on those grounds that same-sex marriage had no legal status. Congratulations, Japan. Uh, so we're celebrating with you. We are so behind you. Stunning. That's all we have time for in terms of international news. Let's go into a beat Fano. The song is by King Princess, Make My Bed, one of their first songs to come out. Stay with me, stay tuned. Love having you on board. Welcome back, Kahu Kuroafano. You are tuned back into the Flat Out Pride Hour here on Free FM 89.0, independent community media. Live stream and podcast us via freefm.org.nz, accessradio.org, Apple Podcasts, accessmedia.nz, and now on iHeartRadio. Flat Out. you got Lady H on your mic for your Funky Friday. You're tuned in the station in the show that celebrates us, the Kahu Kuroafano. Boom. That last beat there was King Princess, Make My Bed. Next we're going on to Rainbow Voices Aotearoa. Have a listen. Moving stuff. It gives me lots of pleasure to <laughs> declare the Rainbow Room reopened. Kafakatu fera te mana fakawa ite taifanga uenuku ite fare pare mato aotearoa. 
Anaite Korero. Kia ora mai nō tātou, ko Louisa Wallahau, I'm the MP for Manurewa. This room is incredibly special and important to me because it signifies the history of Rainbow Members of Parliament uh, and it also signifies our legislative history. So it did really start with homosexual law reform and then as we've progressed through the years we, we've had civil unions, uh, we've had marriage equality uh, but we've also had pioneers and leaders within our LGBT community and for me it really is about legacy. When Europeans first came to our country they found a people that were far more sex positive. They were not comfortable with what appeared to be a very relaxed attitude to same-sex sexuality. And so immediately they took steps to try and criminalise it, to uh, suppress it. In fact, they worked really, really hard to pretend that it never existed at all. A big part, I believe, of decolonisation is to go back and find those stories. And we use the word takatāpui. It's an, a traditional word. It means intimate companion of the same sex, but we've embraced that to include all of us, all Māori, with diverse genders, sexualities and sex characteristics. And that includes lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, intersex and queer, but actually many other identities uh, that people may not even have names for just yet. We have, as Takatāpui over the years, dealt with that in many, many ways. Uh, some of us have gone into hiding. Some of us have lived the heterosexual life that society has wanted for us. And so the rest of us must continue to fight, must continue to advocate, must continue to open doors, particularly for our young people. In 1974, Ven Young, who was an opposition member of parliament, was going to introduce a homosexual law reform bill. The Prime Minister at the time, Norman Kirk, said he couldn't support it because he couldn't support anything that wasn't normal behaviour. I read that headline of the Dominion and I got up from the table and I walked straight down to Lambton Quay and joined the National Party. In 1976, when I was 23 years old and a backbench member of the national government, I was outed uh, by Truth newspaper, who ran the story for something like six weeks. The response from New Zealanders was extraordinary. They were so angry that this had been picked on, that a young woman had been picked on, in a context where, prior to this, pretty much MPs' private lives had no space or place in this kind of public announcement. In 78 to 81, I was the only woman in the National Party caucus. Fortunately, Catherine O'Regan, who had been my electoral agent, in 1983, when I told her I was going to retire, um, I said, you know, I'm letting you know really early in case you'd like to run for it. And she did. And she won. She became the Associate Minister of Health. The government introduced a, an amendment to the Human Rights Commission Act. She did something really extraordinary. As a minister, she moved an amendment to expand the grounds of discrimination, to include sexual orientation, 
and those uh, who were suffering from HIV and AIDS and other uh, transmittable, notifiable diseases. I was a young solo mother with three primary school aged children. The gay community members had lobbied me and said, look, we need a bill introduced by somebody who will actually promote it and run a campaign. And after the 1984 election, I introduced what was then called the Homosexual Law Reform Bill. Two parts, part one was decriminalisation, part two was an amendment to the Human Rights Act. It was a very bitter campaign, it was fought not just in Parliament but on the streets. There was a lot of hate mail, there were death threats, the police were very good. But there were wonderful moments as well and I do remember when the petition was being heard, a messenger arrived with a huge bunch of spring bulbs, beautiful perfume and I thought, ah, that's lovely. So it was just somebody I didn't know, I think, in the gay community who'd sent me these flowers. And of course they were very supportive. I've been a public servant most of my life and in my first six months of working in Wellington came to Parliament buildings when the anti-petition was being handed over and I've got very strong memories of one, the fact that we were locked out because we were on the other side of the fence. The fact that this huge semi-military process was being enacted in front of us where all these very neatly uniformed men basically were handing over the petition in these huge boxes. And the overwhelming sort of response of Fran Wilde, which was just fabulous, she was standing on, I think, a ladder or something. She was certainly standing up high, conducting us all singing the national anthem to try and give a counter to this very jingoistic kind of procession. It was highly motivating and I think it pushed a lot of us towards lobbying and some of the marches that went on and then sort of culminated in law reform going through by Catherine O'Regan and we'll remain eternally grateful for her because liberal causes I think for somebody like Fran was appropriate. For Catherine O'Regan it made her no friends but she pushed through anyway and she pushed through anti-discrimination for HIV positive men and that was just brilliant. The real heroes were the men who came out during the campaign because we had to prove to New Zealand that gay men were not a threat, they were just the person they worked with, the person next door, their colleague um, or their son or in some cases sadly their husband. So many men came out and of course they took a huge risk because they were criminal and had the bill not succeeded that would have been the most terrible blight on their lives forever. So it was, it was great, it wasn't a huge majority, but we got it through and of course the sky didn't fall in, Western civilization didn't collapse, the world just went on. And for me, this is probably the one bit of legislation that, that has had the most impact on the most people. So I'm still very proud that I was able to do it. I was honoured to be the first out gay MP in the New Zealand Parliament. I came out in 1994 when I was a new MP uh, elected for the constituency of Te Aratu. When I was a government minister, I was the Minister of Housing at the time, I was in Australia and I met a young New Zealand woman in a bar there and she said to me, you saved my life. And I said, how could that be? I've never met you before. And she said, you were my local MP, you came to my school during prize giving and I was struggling with my sexuality. I had very religious parents and I had been considering suicide. And she said, I watched you on the stage all night and you were the big man, you were being honoured by everybody. You were our local MP and you were a government minister. And I thought afterwards, if it's okay for Chris Carter, 
it's okay for me. Now that was just one story, but it had a huge impact on me. I thought if all of the hostility that I endured as the first out gay MP, all of that was worth it just for that story alone where that young woman said that I prevented her from committing suicide. And that affected me a lot and made me very proud. Probably I was the first MP to be elected having been reported in the media um, before being elected as being gay. The journey around civil unions began initially really at the behest of the then Prime Minister Helen Clark began a process of talking with rainbow communities around what kind of model was wanted and it was clear that marriage at that stage globally was this too new a concept to really be able to get through. So we went through a Interesting debate on that one. The majority of the civil union was only, I think, 10 votes. So it was a pretty tight debate. We're looking back on it now. It's amazing that only a few years later, marriage equality went through overwhelmingly. So it showed that this parliament has been a place that has been prepared to lead on occasions. And that's uh, a welcome relief. So when I was young, uh, the only visible transgender woman in New Zealand was Georgina Beyer. And she was a hero to me. and the only real person that I could look up to as a young trans person. And now I get to enjoy being an adult in New Zealand and know that the path was cleared for me by someone who was really powerful and inspirational. I have often been credited with having been a trailblazer and I will accept that as being true because as the first out transsexual to serve in a parliament, I had no mentors. I had to navigate my way myself uh, through the mire of political life, I guess. Yes, I had the support of colleagues and the support of caucus, and that we were serving in government was a huge advantage. I guess I acquitted myself very well when we had what has now come to be known as the Enough is Enough march, led by the Destiny Church, when the 8,000 arrived at Parliament uh, to protest against civil unions. Um, it was a dark day, I feel. I stood on those steps for the two or three hours that they held their rally in front of Parliament, holding the rainbow flag, joined by other members of Parliament, Sue Bradford, Sue Kedgley, um, Tim Barnett, Chris Carter, various others came out to support me as I stared them down from the steps of Parliament. Um, at one point I just lost it. We had 150 approximately of our supporters um, who were pro the Civil Union Bill and they had been surrounded uh, by the 8,000 Destiny Church people and they were abused, they were jostled, they were shoved, and I could see all of this happening from the steps. At that point, I was so angry, I suppose, I marched across the forecourt of Parliament, yelling out loudly, why do you hate us so much? What is this? What is this that you're teaching your children, this hatred towards us? It's not right, and words to that effect. I was yelling, which I seemed like a screaming banshee, uh, because they had a sound system the Rolling Stones would have been proud of. So I was trying to shout over that so that they might hear me. That ended up on the news that night, and many of our rainbow people <clears throat> around the country 
went to hallelujah. Our voice is there to stare down this great adversity we were facing from these people. One of the proudest moments in my parliamentary life, I have to say, sorry for getting a bit emotional about it, but it was significant. And, of course, uh, civil unions came to pass and then was followed, what, less than 10 years later by Louisa Wall's presentation of marriage equality to the country. And considering the venal debate that happened over civil unions throughout the country, marriage equality managed to slip through, uh, pretty well supported from within the parliament, and more importantly, uh, from a majority of New Zealanders. You see, with patience and perseverance, the country, by and large, will come on board because they can see all we want is equality. We are of no harm to anyone else. We just want to enrich our own lives with equality. And it has been for the better of New Zealand uh, that we have been able to make positive contributions to our country and to live lives that are far more liberated than when I was young. Well done, New Zealand. It was my pleasure to, uh, as a backbench MP, propose uh, a marriage equality legislation here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. One of the first things we did was establish a cross-party working group. And this gives me an opportunity to acknowledge Kevin Haig, a very active member of our LGBT community, and also uh, Tau Henare. And so I really want to acknowledge uh, all of Parliament who came together at that time with uh, external allies. We also had others, uh, those based in Wellington and Hamilton and Auckland throughout the country who established marriage equality uh, committees in each of those uh, cities. And then we had towns who were actively engaged. It was a very special time. So extending that right to all New Zealanders, uh, consenting adults who want to engage uh, in the marriage process, uh, I think for us has been a beautiful thing. One of the things I got to do as the, the Justice Minister that I'm most proud of was create the first ever in New Zealand's history expungement scheme where we could take uh, convictions, historical convictions for homosexual conduct and wipe them from the record as if they'd never occurred. Uh, and as part of creating that law and introducing it to Parliament, uh, I gave on behalf of the government and people of New Zealand an apology uh, to the men who were unfairly traumatised uh, and stigmatised over many years for just being who they are. And of course the scheme we created is certainly a New Zealand first, if not a world first, in that it goes back, wipes those convictions from the record as if they never occurred. So for the first time, the men or sometimes the, the descendants of the men affected uh, are able to know that that they were not criminals, uh, that they don't have to bear the stigma of being judged to be somehow wrong in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of, of society. What was really powerful for me was to hear the stories uh, of the men and their families, how much it had affected them, how much the apology meant to them. And actually one of the really special things was the way Parliament came together. Uh, giving that speech in the House, hearing the, the speeches from around the House, it really is Parliament at its best when we can look back 
uh, and say we do need to recognise that in that case Parliament got it wrong. Uh, and it's something that I'm incredibly proud of and, and will be very proud of long after I finish my time in Parliament. I was diagnosed with an intersex variation when I was 16 years old. Uh, intersex is an umbrella term to describe people born with variations of sex characteristics which don't clearly fit the binary definition of a male or female body. It's really exciting to see the level of rainbow representation, particularly here at Parliament. I was part of a host ropu for the Ilga World Conference. We had people here from well over a hundred different countries who were astounded to see not only rainbow flags flying outside Parliament, but MPs here proudly saying that they were members of a rainbow community. Our Parliament is incredibly inclusive. Uh, I can say uh, that I feel respected, uh, that I feel valued, uh, that I have never experienced anything uh, that I would classify as homophobic, uh, where I've been explicitly excluded because um, I'm a lesbian. Takatapui. I'm incredibly grateful that uh, we've had um, an upgrading of the room. I do want to acknowledge that the origins of this room come from Tim Barnett and also Speaker Margaret Wilson. We identified this as being an appropriate place in the same corridor to continue the pattern of rooms and that's where, that's where it all started. I think having a room where there's a physical embodiment of the Crown's commitment to diversity, LGBTIQAP plus rights is really powerful. Tifana Fana and Lagans, uh, two of the boards that I'm on, were instrumental in the creation of this original Rainbow Room and we were here for the opening. It just felt so auspicious that we were creating something that probably doesn't exist in many places in the world. I created this artwork called Mana Takatapui in my final year of art school and this particular piece spoke about us being able to have our own voice, having our own integrity and the right to stand. And the two major designs in the artwork are the potama, so representing whakapapa, and the other design is the kaukau, and that's about leadership. In recent times I have heard the terms you know, tōku reo, tōku oho oho, which is our voice is part of the wider collective voice of Māori. So if we as Takatāpui uh, are not well, then Māori is not well. The rainbow room and the progress that has been made, I think, reflects that uh, we have moved towards LGBTI rights or rainbow rights, our human rights not just gay rights. I think in New Zealand we're really privileged and really lucky um, that we have had legislation pass and kind of our community has got the rights that we do have today and we're in the place that we are. We've made some really awesome steps towards that through some of the legislation that's passed. Ten years ago, some of our young people didn't even know that they could survive to the age they're at today. And now with a room like the Rainbow Room saying to them that you can become a member of parliament, uh, it helps to support their goals and aspirations and let them know that this is a society that appreciates and recognises them. It seemed quite appropriate, uh, given the proud history we have in this country over rainbow issues, um, that we should have a rainbow room, a representation for our community um, in a, a solid bricks and mortar um, sense uh, here at Parliament. And here it is. Matt out, Fano. 
Rainbow Voices of Aotearoa New Zealand, a documentary short film. Um, and this was, in fact, created a year ago. I found that really touching, really moving. Um, and I can only imagine the journeys that happened for the people in the past and what they had to go through in order for us to be in um, the kind of society that we are right now with um, legal support and protection. Really honoured and really moved by that. I send love and light out to all those whānau, kahukura whānau out there that don't have uh, this privilege in their lives and uh, send hope that it's still possible. Flat out. I'm speechless. I hope you enjoyed that. That is our Rainbow Voices Aotearoa. Let's go now into a beat, Open Side, which is a New Zealand band, and their song is called Worth It. Stay tuned. We're up to what's hot and happening for your coming weekend very shortly. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.